0: Good day. Welcome to another episode of the Audible Local Ledger Reads to the Blind podcast. You can get more information at audiblelocalledger.org. Stay tuned for today's reading. Hi, I'm Libby, and I'll be reading you today's Cape Cod Times, dated Friday, December 1st, 2023. In the weather forecast today, highs will get into the mid-50s. It won't be as cool as yesterday. There will be an afternoon shower in spots. Tonight, we have rain and drizzle in the forecast, lows dipping down into the mid-40s. The weekend is a mi- mixed bag with sunshine on Saturday, but rain comes back on Sunday. We now present the lottery numbers by special request from a few of our faithful listeners. For Thursday's numbers game, the midday drawing numbers were 8, 2, 2, and 6. The evening drawing numbers were 5, 9, 4, and 0. For Thursday's mass cash drawing, we have numbers 1, 9, 10, 11, and 27. Wednesday's Powerball drawing numbers were 6, 47, 50, 61, 68, and the multiplier ball of 4, And finally, for Mega Millions on Tuesday drawing, the numbers were 27, 37, 42, 59, 61, and an extra ball of 11. The lead story on page one of today's newspaper is headlined, You Wouldn't Want to Drink the Water There, Study Flags PFAS in Private Wells Near Joint Base Cape Cod by Walker Armstrong of the Cape Cod Times. Dateline Mashpee. A new study detailing the scope of so-called forever chemicals in private groundwater wells near military bases across the country has found 17 wells near Joint Base Cape Cod are contaminated with per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, also known as PFAS, a fact base officials said they've been aware of and have been addressing for some time. The study, released Wednesday by the Environmental Working Group, a nonprofit focused on advocating for environmental policy reform, said the U.S. Department of Defense has been slow to respond to PFAS contamination, which the group said has affected 2,805 private wells near 63 military bases across 29 states. The number of contaminated wells near bases is likely much higher, said Jared Hayes, a senior policy analyst for the Environmental Working Group who authored the study. We know that PFAS has been detected at 455 bases and counting, and there are more than 700 different bases across the USA, Hayes said. The study's 2,805 wells is going to be a drop in the bucket, he said. A large PFAS plume originating from the Otis Air National Guard Base portion of the base has been spreading through the groundwater, downgradient toward North Falmouth and Mashpee for decades, said Rose Forbes, remediation program manager for the Air Force Civil Engineering Center on Joint Base Cape Cod. The cause has been linked to the 1970s, Forbes said, when the site was used as a firefighting training area and the use of foams containing PFAS was ubiquitous. From 1970 to 1985, they used primarily the AFFF foam that has PFAS, she said, referring to the commonly used aqueous film-forming foam that is no longer used on the base. There were multiple training events with lots of foam used. Eventually, the PFAS got into the groundwater through precipitation, Forbes said. It was not until 2015 that PFAS was identified as a containment and remediation efforts began. Since then, Forbes said they've sampled 19 private wells on an annual basis in Falmouth and Mashpee, with one well in Falmouth getting sampled on a semi-annual basis. You wouldn't want to drink the water there, Forbes said, referring to the areas affected by the Mashpee and Falmouth plume. But nobody is drinking the water. She added that 123 housing units have been connected to municipal water, and affected public supply wells now have wellhead treatment. The plume is as large and diffuse as it is because it's traveling in the aquifer and through John's Pond and a Schumet Pond, which diffuses the PFAS and causes it to spread further and wider, Forbes said. The ponds are safe for recreational activities, according to the State Department of Public Health. In Mashpee, three out of the seven municipal wells the town operates had been affected by the plume, and all three were taken offline, Mashpee Water District Manager Andy Marks said. One has been brought back to working order and has been online for three years, while the other two have remained offline, with treatment having just begun on November 2nd. Only one well in Falmouth has been affected, said Mike Regido, Chief Water Treatment Plant Operator in Falmouth. He said the Air Force covered the cost of remediation. The levels of PFAS varies at the Falmouth well throughout the year, Regido said, because the town only uses it seasonally. He said when they turn it on in the spring, the levels can sometimes be around 80 parts per trillion, decreasing to around 20 once the well is switched on. We do a lot of monitoring for PFAS year-round, but obviously we're keeping an eye on it, Regido said. We've been fortunate thus far, and we're keeping our fingers crossed it doesn't become an issue for any of our other sources. Study and health impacts. Termed forever chemicals because of their resiliency and propensity to spread, especially through groundwater, PFAS posed significant health risks as even the smallest trace amounts could negatively affect an individual's health. Hayes, with the Environmental Working Group, said... Hayes said the Department of Defense has a policy of providing clean drinking water to communities near military installations where PFAS levels are above 70 parts per trillion. Joint Base Cape Cod has distributed bottled water to one property in Falmouth and one property in Mashpee, Douglas Carson, Air Force Civil Engineering Center Community Involvement Lead, said. Everybody else, we've connected to municipal water lines, Carson said. The Massachusetts Department of Environmental Protection, on the other hand, implemented a public drinking water standard of 20 parts per trillion in October 2020. Despite the disparity in drinking water standards, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has proposed lowering the standards to four parts per trillion, although Hayes said safe levels for drinking water are likely much lower. There, the EPA Recommended safe level is well below one part per trillion. It's almost in parts per quadrillion, incredibly small, he said. Essentially, they're saying that if you find PFAS in the water, any detectable level of PFAS, it's unsafe. Even very low levels of PFAS contamination have been linked to immune system deficiencies, increased risk of cancer, poor fetal development, and reduced vaccine effectiveness, Hayes said. At Joint Base Cape Cod, cleanup and mitigation efforts have been underway to address the spread of PFAS contamination since 2015. But Forbes said nothing can be implemented until the mitigation and remediation proposal plan has been approved by the federal, state, and local governments. We've managed the risk nobody's being exposed to the contamination within this plume area, Forbes said. A range of possible solutions are being considered, Forbes said, from monitoring to a so-called pump-and-treat method, involving the installation of large, high-powered pumps that pull contaminated groundwater up and process it through large carbon filters before releasing the water back into the ground. Forbes said pump-and-treat, while effective, is costly and requires a lot of construction. Any proposed plan would need to go out for public comment and gain approval before remediation efforts can be implemented, Carson said. It does take a long time, he said, but we can do interim actions at any point along that process. Funding has decreased over the years for mitigation and cleanup efforts, Hayes said, while the level of identified PFAS contamination has increased significantly. Just between 2021 and 2022, the total cost to clean up DOD messes on all their bases increased by $8 billion, Hayes said, which is a massive increase because in 2020, it only increased by a billion. In Mashpee, after remediation efforts were underway on the well that has since been reactivated and cleared for use, Marks, the water district manager, said two other wells were identified as having PFAS contamination levels at 23 and 35 parts per trillion. However, because of the federal regulatory standard of 70 parts per trillion, Mark said the federal government was initially reluctant to fund the project. It took some convincing to get the federal government to fund that site, but eventually they agreed to it, Mark said. It took a lot longer than it took normally, would have, to build the filters. But we finally turned it on, and we're finally back to normal, as far as our capacity to pump water. Great White Shark Barrier Tested Off Cape Cod by Jack Perry of the Providence Journal. Do you think we'll see any great white sharks? Shark researcher Craig O'Connell asked his boatmate as they started a trip along the Cape Cod shoreline a few years ago. O'Connell's boatmate was Greg Skomel, an expert who has documented the increasing shark population off Cape Cod. He laughed at me, O'Connell recalled last week. Cruising between Monomoy Island and Nauset Beach for about two hours on that trip in 2017, Skomal and O'Connell spotted 11 different great white sharks. O'Connell, who runs a shark conservation foundation out of Montauk, New York, can be excused for making Skomal laugh. As a kid on family vacations in the 1990s and early 2000s, O'Connell spent many hours swimming off Cape Cod's Nauset Beach without the slightest thought he might be sharing the water with sharks. Times have changed. Great white sharks have become regular visitors to outer Cape Cod, where they feast on an abundant gray seal population and sometimes attack humans. In September 2018, a 26-year-old Revere man died after he was bitten while boogie boarding off Newcomb Hollow Beach in Wellfleet. A month earlier, a 61-year-old New York man was seriously injured when he was attacked while swimming off Long Nook Beach in Truro. The Cape has taken steps to keep swimmers and surfers safe. Warning signs are posted near beach entrances. Researchers use spotter planes, tracking devices, and drones to monitor sharks. An app relays information when sharks are spotted. But the risk remains. Now, O'Connell, founder and director of O.C.'s Conservation Foundation, is developing a barrier that would safeguard people swimming in places like Cape Cod, and also protect people and sharks in locations like Australia, where protective measures like nets and drumlines kill many sharks and species such as sea turtles and dolphins. O'Connell tested his exclusion barrier in a place called Shark Cove off Chatham's Monomoy Island this fall and was encouraged by its performance. Baiting the sharks toward the barrier by putting big chunks of tuna behind it, O'Connell was pleased to see them avoid the structure. They swam completely around the barrier to get to the other side to get to the bait, he said. How does the barrier work to keep sharks out? The barrier works like a combination of structural and electric fence that extends from the seafloor to the surface. The barrier is a series of interconnected black plastic pipes filled with strategically placed electromagnetic stimuli, O'Connell said. The piping provides a visual barrier to turn sharks away, but if they persist and get too close, they get shocked, according to O'Connell. With a boat on the water and underwater cameras, researchers off Cape Cod were able to document eight different white sharks moving around the structure to get to the bait, according to O'Connell. Storms and turbulent sea conditions during testing this fall also showed that the structure could withstand rough waters, O'Connell said. It marked O'Connell's third successful test of the barrier. He had tried it previously off Cape Cod and also off the Bahamas in 2021 and 2022, where it was used on bull sharks, which are considered even more dangerous than white sharks. We will be relentless in our pursuit in replacing beach nets and drum lines with our exclusion barrier technology in places like South Africa, Australia, and Reunion Island. And if we can also help in places like Cape Cod or even New York, we'll be happy to do so, O'Connell said. Will the barriers protect swimmers around Cape Cod? Shark safety is an extremely critical issue for Cape Cod, according to Heather Doyle, co-founder and chair of Cape Cod Ocean Community Incorporated, a nonprofit agency that supports white shark safety measures on Cape Cod. With the shark population off Cape Cod continuing to grow, she says it makes sense to look into technology that would keep swimmers safe. She doesn't know whether any Cape communities are ready to try such a barrier, but her agency plans informational presentations this winter to spread the word on the idea. It's worth looking into, she said. Why wouldn't you? O'Connell envisions barriers protecting swimming areas of about 200 yards along beaches. To make it easier for communities to adopt such systems, the equipment would be donated, he said. Do Rhode Island beaches need the barrier to keep swimmers safe? John Dodd, executive director of the Atlantic Shark Institute in Wakefield, doesn't see a need for such a barrier in Rhode Island waters right now, but that could change. White sharks have been spotted off Rhode Island, but big, adult sharks are most likely to bypass Rhode Island for the potential feast offered by thousands of seals off Cape Cod, according to Dodd. However, his and other agencies are studying a growing seal population around Block Island's North Light. Could that population grow large enough to regularly draw great white sharks to the area as the population on Cape Cod has? Hopefully, that never happens, Dodd said. If it does, perhaps O'Connell's system could be employed. In the meantime, O'Connell says he will keep testing his barrier and looking for places where it can be used to keep people and sea life safe. To me, he said, nothing matters more than protecting the future of our planet, and this is my organization's way of contributing. Cape Cod Times Needy Fund. The Needy Fund Helps Young Mother After Car Accident by Eric Williams of the Cape Cod Times. After the accident, they needed another car. That meant an additional monthly payment for the young island mother and her family. Higher food and fuel costs were also taking a toll, leading to a $500 monthly expense increase that their budget couldn't handle. With rent and child care costs, they were already living paycheck to paycheck. The Cape Cod Times Needy Fund was able to provide immediate assistance. The fund provided a month of heating fuel, and empowered the mother by guiding her to important resources for child care and fuel assistance. Thanks to the support of needy fund donors like you, their burden was eased and the road ahead looks brighter. What is the Cape Cod Times Needy Fund? The nonprofit, Cape Cod Times Needy Fund has provided emergency financial assistance to thousands of Cape Codders and Islanders since 1936. That assistance is made possible because of the continued generosity of neighbors helping neighbors. The needy fund provides short-term emergency assistance to Cape and Islands residents so they can continue to go to work and or stay in their homes. People in need submit their requests for help to the needy fund, which in turn pays for the goods or services, a medical bill, for example, through a voucher system. No cash is given to needy fund recipients. You can donate to the Needy Fund by say, by sending checks to the Cape Cod Times Needy Fund. Those needing assistance can contact the fund at 800-422-1446. The fundraising goal this season is $1.6 million and every donation helps. Thanks to everyone who has made a donation to the Cape Cod Times Needy Fund. Total contributions to date What to Know About Polar Express on Cape Cod by Frankie Rowley of the Cape Cod Times. Like many children, I was envious of the boys and girls who got to ride on the Polar Express after watching the famous 2004 Christmas flick. As the children embarked on their journey through the snow-covered night, I longed to be a passenger on the old steam train heading toward the North Pole. From the festivities to the food, everything about the movie was magical. In the spirit of bringing some holiday magic to the Cape and making some childhood dreams come true, Cape Codders can take a trip on the Polar Express as the Cape Cod Central Railroad's Polar Express train ride departs from Buzzards Bay Station from now until December 23rd. It's lots of fun and entertainment for kids and families," Kayleen Jablecki, Vice President of Passenger Operations at the Cape Cod Central Railroad, said. We encourage people each year to make it a family tradition, and we have lots of families who've been returning year after year. What do you do on the Polar Express train ride? The festivities on the Polar Express train ride are part of an official Warner Brothers production. On the journey to the North Pole, passengers will enjoy all the magic the movie presents, plus a few added bonuses. The movie's soundtrack will play throughout the ride as the conductor punches golden tickets and dancing waiters and chefs perform. The famous children's book will be read over the speakers, and passengers are encouraged to bring a copy of the book to read along. Regardless of which car you're in, The onboard entertainment that the people are all experiencing with the dancing chefs and waiters are in each car, Jablecki said. Once at the North Pole, Santa and his elves will climb aboard to meet passengers, take photos, and give out special gifts. Everyone who believes is given the first gift of Christmas, which is a silver sleigh bell, just like in the movie, Jablecki said. Elves remain aboard the train as passengers head back to Buzzards Bay and they partake in Christmas carol singing alongside the chefs and waiters and play a few games with the kids. Rides are an hour to an hour and a half long from Buzzards Bay to the North Pole and back. What age is the Polar Express good for? All ages, according to Jablecki, In her years of running the production, she's seen parents bring their babies aboard the Polar Express for their first Christmas, couples young and old enjoying a trip to the North Pole, and families returning year after year to celebrate the season. If you're a fan of Christmas, you'll enjoy the train, she said. When does the Polar Express run on Cape Cod? Rides officially began on the day after Thanksgiving and run until December 23rd. Polar Express train rides will take place at 6 p.m. Thursdays, at 4.30 and 7 p.m. on Fridays, 2 p.m., 4.30 p.m., and 7 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. On December 17th, an additional matinee ride will be offered at 11.30 a.m., and rides will take place on Tuesday, December 19th, and Wednesday, December 20th at 4.30 and 7 to fit more trips in before Christmas. We don't run, for example, on Tuesdays. Normally we have a day off. But otherwise, the closer we get to Christmas, we're running more frequently, Jablecki said. Can you eat on the Polar Express? Hot chocolate and Walker's shortbreads will be served on board throughout the trip as they are the official on-board treat for the ride. No other beverages or food will be available on board. We have to stick to the Warner Brothers script, and in the movie, it's only hot chocolate and cookies, so that is all that's served on this trip, Jablecki explained. Do you wear pajamas on the Polar Express? All passengers, regardless of age, are encouraged to wear their Christmas pajamas aboard the Polar Express. Tickets for the Polar Express range from $49 to $109, depending on the class with children 3 and under riding for $5 with a paying adult. There are <coughs> There are three classes of service: standard class, first class, and premium class. Standard class is the most economical of the three, offering riders row seating for the cheapest prices. For matinee rides, children 3 to 12 ride for $49 and adults for 59. For regular rides, child tickets are sixty four and adults are seventy four. In first class, riders are treated to window seating in groups of four, either in a row or across from each other. Parties larger than four may have seats adjacent to or across the aisle from each other dependent on size. In addition to window seating, first class passengers also receive a limited edition Polar Express tumbler with their ticket purchase. For matinee rides, tickets are $64 per child and $74 per adult. For regular rides, tickets are $79 per, adult, per child and $89 per adult. Finally, in premium class, riders experience the most luxurious travel experience of the three options. Seated at tables for four with plush seating, premium class riders enjoy the luxury of riding in an elevated car with panoramic windows. Plus, riders will receive a Polar Express ceramic mug with their ticket purchase. For these matinee rides, tickets in premium class are $84 per child and $94 per adult. For regular rides, tickets are $99 per child and $109 per adult. Tickets for the Polar Express can be purchased online at the Cape Trains website. Several days are already sold out. Where is the station located, and how soon should I arrive? The Buzzards Bay Station is located on Main Street in Buzzards Bay. Passengers should aim to arrive 45 minutes prior to departure to park and pick up their tickets. Boarding begins 30 minutes before departure, and parking is free at the station. The train will not be held for any late passengers. Yarmouth to buy 10 acres on Higgins-Croll Road for $1,075,000, by Denise Coffey of the Cape Cod Times. Dateline Yarmouth. Officials are putting the finishing touches on a deal that would transfer 10 acres of land from the Roman Catholic Diocese of Fall River to the town of Yarmouth. The $1,075,000 purchase and sale agreement for 10 lots on Higgins-Croll Road was approved by the Select Board on October 17th. The parcel had been approved for subdivision into 10 individual house lots. According to town administrator Robert Rittenauer Jr., the land is important because it lies within 1,000 feet of the town's municipal well number 24. Towns are required to own a 400-foot radius around public wells, but a well's zone of contribution is considered to include a 1,000-foot radius, he said. We all know septic systems have the potential to impact public water supply wells, Rittenour said. This purchase is part of the town's effort to safeguard the public water supply in a very meaningful way. On June 21st, the Massachusetts Department of Environmental Protection issued regulations addressing nitrogen pollution caused by septic systems on Cape Cod. The new rules go into effect on July 7th and will affect most Cape Cod towns. About 126,000 parcels on the CAPE have on-site septic systems. Only 1,937 parcels have innovative or alternative septic systems that filter out nitrogen. About 7,000 parcels are connected to public or private sewer systems. The CAPE's sandy soil absorbs nitrogen and phosphorus from wastewater released by septic systems, allowing them to enter nearby waters more easily. Select board member Mark Forrest called the Higgins-Crowell Corridor one of the most important in Yarmouth. It's a critical part of the watershed, he said, and vital to the water supply in West Yarmouth. Yarmouth has 24 municipal water supply wells that draw from either the Sagamore Lens or the Monomoy Lens, according to the town's website. Three pump stations are located along Higgins-Crowell Road. The land sits across from Chickadee Lane and the Marguerite Small Elementary School. Money for the purchase is in place, Rittenauer said, adding that it's coming from a combination of sources, $600,000 in community preservation funds, $375,000 from a Department of Environmental Protection grant, and $100,000 from the Water Department's capital fund. Forrest said the select board has been dogged in their attempts to acquire the property from when it first went on the market. As soon as the sign went up, the board started talking about it, he said. We've been working with the Diocese of Fall River, and they've been a willing partner to work with, Rittenauer said. To put together projects with the town sometimes has a lot of complications. It all came together. The town is in the final stages of putting together the closing documents. It's expected the sale will be finalized by mid-December. The property is appraised for $1.5 million, according to the Town Assessor's Office. The 10-acre parcel is one of six other Yarmouth properties owned by the Roman Catholic Bishop of Fall River and listed on the Assessor's website. The appraised value of the properties is more than $19 million. We've reached the halfway point of our broadcast, and regular listeners are aware that at this point of the broadcast, we move to the obituaries. There is one obituary in the newspaper today, and it is for Terrence J. Huggard, Dateline Mashpee. Terrence J. Huggard, age 75 of Mashpee, passed away peacefully at home on November 29th. He was the beloved husband of Margie Huggard and son of the late Stanley and Helen Huggard. Terrence proudly served in the United States Navy, and we thank him for that service. He was stationed aboard the USS Boston during the Vietnam War. A lover of cars, he went into the family business and owned and operated Huggard and Ewing auto sales for many years until his retirement. His passion for cars extended well beyond his work life and he was often happiest riding along the streets of the Cape in his 57 Chevy while listening to Elvis alongside his wife of 53 years. Affectionately known as Terry, he commanded the room with his larger-than-life presence, drawing a crowd with his amazing storytelling and ability to make everyone feel special. Terry loved golf, especially on his own course dancing to the oldies, and most of all, spending time with family and friends while embodying his philosophy that there was no such thing as a bad party. He was a loving husband, father, and grandfather, and will be dearly missed by all who loved him. In addition to his loving wife, Margie, Terry is survived by his daughter, his son, his brother, his five grandchildren, and many brothers and sisters-in-laws, nieces, and nephews. An internment graveside service will be held at the Falmouth Jewish Cemetery on Hatchville Road, in East Falmouth, today, Friday, December first, at one p.m. In lieu of flowers, donations may be made to the VNA of Cape Cod Hospice and Palliative Care. On Route One Thirty Four in South Dennis, for the online guestbook and directions, please visit the website of Chapman Funeral. Today's Ask Carolyn column is headlined, A Single Mom and Her Traditional Fiance Disagree Over Finances. Dear Carolyn, I am a long-time single mom, professional, and primary breadwinner. I am engaged to a wonderfully kind but terribly old-fashioned man who begrudgingly accepts that I am a higher earner. I recently lost my job and suffer from several disabling conditions like anxiety and PTSD. Our combined kids are young adults, ages 17 to 21, and my house is their home base. I know a job offer is imminent. A person at my church has given me money to help during this transition. They told me to keep it between us, which I should have done, but I told my fiancé. He said, do whatever you want, but I would never take money from someone at church, and reacted very strongly about it. I think I'll accept the gift and remain silent to the fiancé. It's not optional that I need financial help, and he is unable to provide any. What say ye? Signed, Anonymous. Dear Anonymous, I don't accept his begrudging acceptance. That's what I say. Your question is about the money, I know, not this. But the money will have been accepted or not, and probably your imminent job offer, too. By the time this column sees daylight, so for my purposes, it's not relevant. The relationship problem beneath the money acceptance problem, however, is that you have significant disagreement between you and the man you're about to marry over a matter of consequence, and that remains office-pacingly, key-mashingly relevant unless you happen to have dissolved the engagement since writing your letter to me or he has somehow extracted his head from his traditions. You are single, you created a home, reared children to young adulthood mostly, or entirely on your own, have professional credentials, are a breadwinner, have held yourself together in the face of several disabling conditions, and default to honesty even knowing it's the hardest path. In other words, you deserve a whole lot more than grudging, freaking acceptance of who you are and what you've accomplished. You deserve someone who doesn't see your life's resume as against his beliefs. Since we're talking about beliefs, my core belief is that I have no standing to say what's right for you, be it kind or grudging or otherwise. So if your life with your fiancé is the life you want, without reservations based in beliefs or anything else then ignore all of the above with my sincerest support. But if the current situation does have you rethinking this fundamental piece of your relationship, then you will also likely be tempted to turn away from such an uncomfortable reckoning in favor of keeping the peace. Don't, that's all I'm saying. Problems chafe more with marriage. So answer every hard question you have to your own satisfaction before taking so much as another step on this path. If you don't have counseling support for your health conditions, then the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration can help you find care. What makes 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit so crucial by Elizabeth Wise of USA Today. The UN Weather Agency said Thursday that 2023 is all but certain to be the hottest year on record. The World Meteorological Organization also warned that the average temperature for the year is up some 1.4 degrees Celsius, or 2.5 degrees Fahrenheit, from pre-industrial times, one-tenth of a degree under a target limit for the end of the century, as laid out by the Paris Climate Accord in 2015. The WMO Secretary General said the onset earlier this year of El Nino the weather phenomenon marked by heating in the Pacific Ocean, could tip the average temperature next year over the 1.5 degree or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit target cap set in Paris. Consider that three degrees Fahrenheit is the difference between a raging fever and a healthy toddler, between a hockey rink and a swimming pool, between food going bad or staying at a safe temperature. Now consider that Earth is about two degrees Fahrenheit hotter on average than it was in the 1800s. It's a little wonder that has already led to measurable shifts in the climate. The last eight years have been the hottest in recorded history, and 2023 is expected to be the hottest yet. But there's a looming threshold that will dictate the future of planet Earth, one that, if we cross it, will have cascading effects on how hot the planet gets how much seas rise, and how significantly normal daily life as we now know it will change. The number is 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit. World leaders at an annual gathering beginning Thursday will be spending considerable energy pondering that number, although they will use the Celsius version, 1.5 degrees. Representatives and negotiators from 197 nations are gathering at an event called COP, Conference of the Parties and the United Arab Emirates, a 13-day meeting that comes at what scientists say is a critical moment in the fight to keep the already dangerous effects of climate change from tipping over into the catastrophic. Research published last month estimated humanity has only six or so more years before so much carbon dioxide has been pumped into the atmosphere, that there's only a 50% chance of staying below the threshold. In 2016, the United States and 195 other parties signed the Paris Agreement, a legally binding international treaty on climate change, aimed at lowering the quantity of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere to keep global warming at bay. All the nations that signed the agreement pledged to try as hard as possible to keep the global average temperature increase below 2.7 degrees, and to definitely keep it below a 3.6 degree Fahrenheit rise. Only the agreement set it in Celsius, which comes out to the smoother sounding two degrees Celsius and one and a half degrees Celsius. The numbers sound pretty small, but they aren't. The difference between 65 degrees and 67.7 degrees That critical 2.7-degree difference isn't even worth carrying a sweater. So why does it worry climate scientists? It's because they're thinking about global temperature averages, and when the global average goes up, the extremes go way up. The Earth is already 1.1 degrees Celsius warmer than it was in the 1800s, about 2 degrees Fahrenheit, and it's warming fast. Ocean surface temperatures were the highest ever recorded this year, causing fish die-offs and increasing red tides. People across America are already noticing the effects. Storms are more extreme, drenching areas with more water that's causing an increasing number of devastating flash floods. Dozens of people in Vermont, Tennessee, and Pennsylvania are only the most recent victims. These aren't just normal storms. These are deluges where four months of rain falls in one day. We're also experiencing more devastating droughts, catastrophic wildfires, and wetter hurricanes. Fruit called over listeria and salmonella risks by Sarah Al-Arshani and Saman Shafiq of USA Today. The CDC is working with the FDA to investigate a salmonella outbreak that has killed two people and hospitalized 45 in 32 states. The listeria outbreak has resulted in 11 illnesses, 10 hospitalizations, and one death in seven states. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is advising people to check their kitchens for recalled fruit and to throw it out or return it. Do not eat the recalled products. The Food and Drug Administration said November 17th it was recalling peaches, plums, and nectarines sold at multiple retailers that may have been contaminated with listeria. On Tuesday, the agency announced that another batch of cantaloupe products had been recalled due to salmonella risk. Before you bite into that delicious nectarine, peach, plum, or cantaloupe, make sure it's safe to eat. Recalled fruit includes fresh whole peaches, plums, and nectarines currently on store shelves are not a part of the recall, but the FDA warned that customers may have frozen fruit they previously bought. The fruit may also have gone to manufacturers that froze or relabeled it. The stone fruit recall includes non-organic fruit sold in packages or individually between May 1st and 15th 2022, and May 1st and November 15th, 2023, at supermarkets like Publix, Walmart, Sam's Club, Sprouts Farmer's Market, and some Albertsons and Aldi stores. Individual pieces of fruit with PLU stickers labeled USAEU containing the following numbers, yellow peach, 4044 or 4038, white peach, 4401, yellow nectarine 4036 or 4378, white nectarine 3035, red plum 4042, and black plum 4040. Packaged peaches, plums, or nectarines sold in bags branded HMC Farms. Clean any surface that may have touched the contaminated fruit. Listeria can survive in the refrigerator and can easily spread to other foods and surfaces, the CDC warned. Packaged peaches or nectarines sold in Signature Farms branded bags with $6359 printed on a white sticker on the bag. Cantaloupe is also a cause for concern. Aldi, Pacific Trellis Fruit, Dulcinea Farms, CF Dallas, Sophia Produce and Vineyard Fruit and Vegetable Company have also recalled cantaloupes or cantaloupe products. The recalled products are 6-ounce mixed fruits cup and cantaloupe cup and a 16-ounce fruit tray with sell-by dates of November 4th through December 3rd. They were distributed to Quick Trip, Quick Star, Stop and Go, Tobacco Outlet Plus Grocery, and Tobacco Outlet Plus Stores in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, Michigan, Illinois, and South Dakota. The company made the decision after Truefresh issued an expanded recall of cantaloupes, some of which were used as a raw material in Quick Trip products. No illnesses associated with the fruit cup and tray products listed have been reported. The convenience store chain Quick Trip initiated a voluntary recall of three fresh fruit cup and tray products because they contain cantaloupe that may be contaminated with salmonella, the FDA said. Salmonella symptoms usually start six hours to six days after consuming the bacteria, says the CDC. They include bloody diarrhea or diarrhea that lasts more than three days without improving. Diarrhea and fever over 102 degrees Fahrenheit. Excessive vomiting, especially if it prevents you from keeping liquids down. Dehydration, including dry mouth and throat, infrequent urination, and feeling dizzy when standing up, stomach cramps. Listeria symptoms typically start two weeks after eating contaminated food, but can start as soon as the same day or as late as 10 weeks after. Symptoms include fever, aches, nausea, fatigue, vomiting, and diarrhea. More serious symptoms include headache, stiff neck, confusion, convulsions, and loss of balance. Most people recover without treatment after four to seven days, feeling dizzy when standing up. Pregnant people, newborns, adults over 65, and those with weakened immune systems are more likely to become ill from listeria, the FDA warned. With both bacterial illnesses, the CDC recommends getting in touch with a healthcare provider if symptoms persist or get worse. And now some holiday news in the Best Bets column. Hyannis Main Street Turns into a Winter Wonderland for the Weekend by Frankie Rowley of the Cape Cod Times. Walk through a winter wonderland in Hyannis this weekend during Cape Cod's Winter Wonderland Weekend, hosted by the Hyannis Main Street Business Improvement District, Love Live Local, and the Cape Cod Maritime Museum. Hyannis Main Street's monthly First Fridays kicks off the weekend from 5 to 8 p.m. today with a festive boat lighting and holiday sing-along at the harbor. The lighting will commence at 5:30 p.m., but s'mores and games from shipyard boulders will begin at 5 p.m. After the boat lighting, sip and shop begins. Stores will be open late and shoppers 21 and older can purchase a sip and shop voucher at hyannismainstreet.com or $10, and pick up a festive beverage from participating stores. Drinks are limited to one per store. ELF will also be screening at the corner of High School Road and Main Street, accompanied by a fire pit to make s'mores. On Saturday, December 2nd, the 10th Annual Love Live Local Fest Holiday Edition begins the day's festivities from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., During the festival, 120 local artists and businesses will take over the Village Green, displaying and selling their work to patrons. We only have Cape Cod-based artisans, artists, and makers, Amanda Converse, co-founder of Love Live Local, said. They can expect a variety of products, from food as well as jewelry, kids' items, and apparel. There's going to be quite a large variety, and while you're shopping, you can eat at one of our three food trucks. During the gifting season, Converse highlighted the importance of shopping locally, noting that local businesses are more likely to give back to their communities as opposed to their corporate counterparts. At the end of the day, local businesses of all kinds reinvest up to four times the amount of money into our local community as their corporate competitors, she said. When you think about how much additional wealth that can generate for our community, it's not just a single transaction with a local business. That single transaction has ripple effects that reach the rest of the community. Outside of the festival, Main Street Stroll begins at 11 a.m., ends at 3 p.m. and is full of holiday fun. A petting zoo, pony rides, cookie competition, and a search for Santa's reindeer during Reindeer Roundup are just a few of the many events happening along Main Street. Plus, Santa himself will be posing for pictures with kids from 12 to 2.30 p.m. Finally, a holiday boat parade ends the weekend fun at 4 p.m. at Hyannis Harbor. Hot chocolate and chowder will be available for spectators to enjoy while they watch the boats of all shapes and sizes cruise through the harbor. Free parking for all events will be available at Barnstable Town Hall, South and North Streets, and Ocean Street public parking lots. On Cape Cod just for the holidays? Check out things to do in our month-long planner online at capecodtimes.com. Here are some other things happening on Cape Cod this week. On December 2nd, local artists, authors, and community members will gather from 3 to 5 p.m., at the Addison Art Gallery for a benefit event for the Homeless Prevention Council. Cape and Island's authors, Jeanette de Beauvoir, Yvonne de Sousa, Judy Lannon, Brad Lucier, Romy Maimon, Mary McDermott, Jeff Norgio, Lee Roscoe, and Brett Warren, will interact with guests and sign copies of their works. Ranging in genre from mystery and memoir to art and architecture, 30 titles will be available at the event. Maimon's signings will also benefit the Cape Cod Emergency Pet Care Program. The Addison Art Gallery is located on South Orleans Road in Orleans. Eastem's Carols on the Windmill Green. Eastham's Visitor Service Board will host its annual carols on the Windmill Green from 4 to 5 p.m., December 2nd. <clears throat> Tom Fairs will direct the Nauset High School Honors Chorus through a selection of holiday tunes, accompanied by the Eddie Elementary School Choir, directed by Stacy Ferris, lending their voices to the carol sing-along. The Eastham Windmill will be open for tours during the event and the Visitor's Board will serve hot chocolate and cookies throughout the evening. The Windmill Green is located on State Highway in Eastham. Sandwich Soul This year's Sandwich Soul fundraiser holiday concert, presented by the Sandwich Town Hall Preservation Trust, will take place at 4 p.m. on December 3rd at the Sandwich Town Hall. The repertoire for the eighth holiday show includes a mix of classic and contemporary songs, sung by 38 choral members and a few featured soloists. Tickets for the show are $15, and all proceeds go to the students of Sandwich Soul to help fund an upcoming trip to Florida for an international choral competition and Disney's Broadway Magic Workshops. Tickets for the show can be bought online at eventbrite.com. Yvonne de Sousa discusses Shelter of the Monument, a Provincetown Love Story, at the Snow Library. Author Yvonne de Sousa will be giving a talk about her new book, Shelter of the Monument, a Provincetown Love Story, at 5 p.m. on December 5th at the Snow Library. Shelter of the Monument, a Provincetown Love Story, is a coming-of-age memoir about first loves, grief, addiction, and Self-Discovery, set in D'Souza's hometown of Provincetown. Following the talk, a book signing and sale will take place. Admission is free. The Snow Library is located on Main Street in Orleans. Project Forward Holiday Market. Cape Cod Community College's Project Forward program will host its annual pop-up holiday market from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. December 7th in the Grossman Commons building on the West Barnstable campus. The market will feature baked goods, handmade gifts, and crafts by students from the program's retail and art entrepreneurship sector. Sales are cash only and go directly to Project Forward scholarships and programming. Project Forward is an award-winning educational program that provides vocational training for individuals with intellectual disabilities according to the program's website. Cape Cod Community College is located on Iano Road in West Barnstable. It's Time to Make Plans for Cape Cod's Celebrations of the Season by Barbara Clark, contributing writer to the Cape Cod Times. Cape Cod sure knows how to throw a party. This Yuletide season, folks will be out and about, enjoying local festivities, strolls, and other holiday pursuits. Santa's everywhere at once, that's part of the magic, arriving on trucks, carts, and boats to greet fans of all ages. Central to our celebrations are the lights, illuminating the winter from giants in Sandwich to the colorful lobster pot tree in Provincetown. Candlelight glows from windows all along Old King's Highway and from an open house at a historic Dennis Mance. Lights bob above the water on boats in the harbor, warm a solstice celebration in West Barnstable, and bloom in fireworks on New Year's Eve. Everyone shines at the Cape's Seaside celebration. Here's a peek at some of the activities, old and new, that are in store for this holiday celebration. The Sandwich Giants. Through New Year's Day, more than 70 whimsical sandwich giants light up the town. It's free and information on the Giants' locations can be found on the website of the Sandwich Chamber. A Very Vineyard Holiday, daily through December 24th at local venues across Martha's Vineyard. All events are free, and information can be found at mvy.com slash holidays. The 14th Annual Glassblower's Christmas runs from 9.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. daily through December 30th at the Sandwich Glass Museum on Main Street. Tickets are 2 to $12, and more information can be found on the museum's website. Holidays at Highfield in Falmouth. From 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., Thursday through Sunday, through December 10th at Highfield Hall on Highfield Drive in Falmouth. Spectacular decorations and seasonal activities in the historic manse. Tickets are $10, but children are free. Pre-registration is suggested, and more information can be found on the HighfieldHallandGardens.org website. Gardens Aglow at Heritage Museums and Gardens in Sandwich. Light displays and fun family activities from 4.30 to 8 p.m. Thursday through Sunday, December 23rd at Heritage Museums and Gardens on Grove Street in Sandwich. Reservations are required and tickets are $13 to $25. The Canteen Holiday Market. Local artisan wares on sale at local vendors' outdoor marketplace from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Weekend days vary through December 31st on Commercial Street in Provincetown. From November 30th and December 1st through 3rd, Holly Folly in Provincetown. Holly Folly, described by organizers as the nation's original LGBTQ plus holiday celebration, began in 1997 as a way for chosen family to gather and celebrate the holidays with performance art, dining, and holiday shopping. There's also a jingle bell run and champagne brunch with a Santa in bathing suits run, Dance parties, sing alongs, and drag bingo. For more information, go to ptown.org. Windmill lighting in Brewster. December 1st at Drummer Boy Park, 3 to 6 p.m. Christmas tree and windmill lighting with caroling and cocoa. And the Sandwich Community Carol Sing on the steps of First Church. Main Street in Sandwich at 7 p.m. tonight, Friday, December 1st. Then for December 2nd, we have a winter open house at Cahoon Museum in Cotuit. From 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., free admission all day, there will be exhibits, holiday art projects, and delicious seasonal treats. For more information, go to the museum's website. Also on December 2nd, Christmas in Cotuit. There will be day-long events beginning at 10 a.m. at venues throughout the village. Everything is free. There will be a gift basket sale, craft fair, the fire station will have an open house, and Santa will be at the town dock at 3.45 p.m. December 1st through 3rd, there's the Christmas in Harwich Weekend Festival. It is a free event. There is a holiday parade at noon an interactive Charles Dickens-themed stroll from Pilgrim Masonic Lodge to Brooks Park, vendors, and food trucks. Fireworks will be at 6 p.m. For more information, go to the website wakwasit.com. The Cape Symphony offers its holiday on the Cape Yarmouth Port Christmas Stroll. With six performances over three days from December 1st to 3rd, Cape Symphony presents a holiday concert for those age six and older. Joe Marchio is guest conductor. Patrice Tiedemann is the vocalist and the Cape Symphony Dance Company, led by Michelle Twastiak, will perform. There is also a sing-along. Details, including a collection to help veterans, can be found on the Cape Symphony's website. And finally, the 60th Annual Falmouth Christmas Parade it takes place at noon, December 3rd, from Dillingham Avenue and Davis Straits down Main Street to the Village Green. There will be floats, marching bands, live animals, colorful costumes, and Santa. The event is free, and more information can be found on the website of the Falmouth Chamber. And that's all I have time for today. This is your reader Libby saying thank you for listening.